Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Peter Diamandis. He's an engineer, physician, founder of the XPRIZE Foundation, and co-founder of Singularity University. If you got rid of Elon Musk's money or Steve Jobs' factories, they would likely still end up in a successful place because of their mindset. Peter has incubated some of the fastest growing and most innovative CEOs, businesses, and performers, and developed a number of rules around how to optimize your mental state as well. Expect to learn the practices that Peter teaches his students to maximize their mindset's effectiveness, the most important principles of developing a big vision for life, how to overcome negativity and limiting beliefs, whether Peter believes humans are going to be able to live up to 120 years old soon, what's happening with space tourism, and much more. All right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce the costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you are improving efficiency by bringing all your business processes into one platform. Over 37 thousand companies have already made the move so do the maths and see how you will profit with NetSuite. Back by popular demand NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com modern right now. That's netsuite.com modern. But now ladies and gentlemen please welcome Peter Diamandis. We were talking just before I ask all of the guests to count to five so that I can sound check the recording to make sure that everything's working okay. And you counted down from five. Am I right in thinking that there was a period in the past, and it may still be the same now, where they missed the word five in a countdown because five sounded too much like fire when it was, <laughs> when it was missiles? So they would go seven, six, four, three, two, one, fire. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think that's a great myth to start, but, uh, <laughs> is it bullshit? Am I talking I, out of my ass? I, I think, uh, if people knew that to expect a five after a six, they'd hear a five and not a fire. Um, and they're probably, probably waiting for like, you know, launch versus fire anyway. Uh, yeah. But I am a space cadet and, uh, and counting down to zero, uh, to ignition uh, is a lot more fun than counting up because you count up, you know, it's forever. You know, you get to infinity eventually. Yeah. Well, that's the interesting thing when you think about, is it Bill Ackman? He's that guy that does loads of short selling, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. the, 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 the reverse is if you're a short seller, you have a limited amount of money that you can make. If you're going long, then there is the sky is the limit, depending on what the company is. And the bottom is the limit too. <laughs> that's also true. You do have, there is a limited amount of money that you could lose. Okay, so you have a very eclectic history when it comes to the things that you've done. If that's you, a ni nicer way to put it, sure. Yes, yeah. Uh, meandering would be another way perhaps. Um, how would you describe, or how do you describe your background? Someone says, so Peter, tell me, tell me sort of your story. How did, how did you get to the point that you're at? What's the elevator pitch? 
Uh, the elevator pitch, both parents born in Greece on the island of, of Lesbos came here. I was born in New York, expected to become a physician. I was born in the 60s, and two things happened in the 60s. Number one was the Apollo program, and the Apollo program showed us what was possible today. And then there was that scientific documentary called Star Trek that showed us where the you know where humanity was going. And between Apollo and Star Trek, I got the space bug very, very hard. And my parents wanted me to become a doctor. And I said, yes, mom, yes, dad, I'm going to be an astronaut. And I ended up pursuing both. So um, went to MIT, uh, really studying molecular genetics, pre-med. But on nights and weekends, in the afternoons, I was doing aerospace engineering, went to Harvard for medical school, promised to complete medical school, you know, got my diploma, sent it to my mom, my dad, Uh, I went back to MIT, did aerospace engineering. And uh, throughout all of that, I was an entrepreneur. And I realized for me that I loved starting stuff. I loved creating companies. I thought, uh, I think of companies as the means by which you can impact the world. You know, entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurs are individuals that find big, juicy problems and solve them. And my first group ever was a college nonprofit called SED, Students for Exploration and Development of Space. It grew into an international organization. I met Jeff Bezos through that. He was the president of the Princeton chapter and then started a uh, space university, um, International Space University, and then went on to start a company called Zero G that does weightless parabolic flights and then the first X Prize for private space flight. And so I was a space cadet for the first 20 years, really pursuing uh, space. I had a rocket company, a satellite company. Um, And that was the first 20 years of my entrepreneurial life. Uh, I then read a book by Ray Kurzweil uh, called The Singularity is Near. And damn if it didn't make a right-hand turn in my life. So Ray's a dear friend. He's a mentor. He's a collaborator. We've started companies together. And Ray uh, wrote this book and talked about how exponential technologies, uh, computation, sensors, networks, AI, robotics, 3D printing, AR, VR, blockchain, nanotechnology, how all of these technologies are going to literally transform everything. And uh, it really just massively turned me on as to the future. And I made a shift from space to really how do you use these exponential technologies to take on the world's biggest problems? Uh, X prize went from a single prize for private space flight to a prize, uh, on solving the world's biggest problems. Uh, Ray and I co-founded Singularity University. That was really, how do you, you know, teaching entrepreneurs and leaders how to impact billion person problems. And that was my next, you know, 10, 15 years. And then the last decade I'm still continuing those things. I'm not as involved in space. I'll go back to space, but only when I've got a few hundred million dollars in my pocket that I can really invest in this because space is not a poor man's game. Um, But the last decade has been uh, really focused on longevity, on health span. How do you add 10, 20, 30 healthy years on, on your life? So very briefly, I've started about six or seven health and biotech companies, um, uh, have a a half a billion dollar venture fund that's investing in two thirds in biotech and longevity, one third in exponential tech. 
um, written a, a number of books. And that in four minutes or less is a very quick summary. What do all of those projects have in common? My passions. Um, I am driven. I am a passion-driven individual. I do not do anything unless it's what wakes me up at, you know, 5.30 in the morning. So my passion of, it's, it's grand challenges. It's like, there is no problem we cannot solve, right? We can open the space frontier. The space frontier is the ultimate destiny of humanity. Whatever we evolve to a thousand years from now, you know, we're gonna look back at this moment in time when the human race moved off the planet irreversibly. Um, exponential technologies solving billion person problems. I'm, I believe there is no problem we cannot solve. Right. I really fundamentally believe that, that we have the ability to uplift every man, woman and child on the planet and that we will. Technology is the force that takes whatever was scarce and makes it abundant. We can talk plenty of examples there. And then the biggest challenge is and the biggest benefit. There is no greater benefit than giving someone uh, decades of healthy lifespan. All right. There was a study done at Harvard London School of Business in Oxford that said, if you add one healthy year to the global population, it's worth $38 trillion, the global economy. It's massive. So that stuff is all driven by what I, I teach, something called finding your massive transformative purpose, your MTP. And uh, I teach this to all the CEOs I, I mentor. I, I run an Abundance 360 program, which is a year-round program for uh, 360 uh, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and about 2,500 uh, uh, entrepreneurs online. Anyway, uh, finding your MTP that wakes you up and keeps you going, because all this stuff is hard. It's really hard. And unless it's driven by an emotional energy uh, that's your calling in life, you're going to give up before you get there. There needs to be a reason for you to put up with it being hard. It's going to be difficult. Things are going, to, going to, get, to get in the way. And purpose, meaning a sense of existential connection between you and what you're doing is a significantly better motivator than a Jocko Willink motivational video or some loud rock music or enough caffeine or just grit and determination or whatever it is that you end up relying on. I love the idea of using, um, are you fired up when you wake up in the morning as the proxy for, are you doing something that you care about? Because it's the easiest heuristic when you wake up on a morning, are you excited about the day that you have in front of you? Or even yes. if the day is going to start, even if it's back-to-back -back meetings and whatever else, is it, still, is it still cool? Is it still fun, what you're doing? Do you feel like you're connected to it? 100%. And, and it's, um, I think if you don't have that in your life, uh, your job is to find it. Right? That's uh, ultimately... Uh, what every person can have. And I think the technologies that are coming online today uh, are able to help you um, because they can augment you. You may not have had the education in school uh, to pursue the dream that you want, but you know you can use eventually an AI co-pilot uh, to enable you to do that. You know, we're gonna move towards a world in which uh, the stuff that is dull, dangerous, or dirty that people don't want to do will be done by robots and by AI algorithms and so forth. But those who truly, you know, want to be creatives, want to be entrepreneurs, want to have a dream, 
you know, what did you want to do as a kid before the world told you you couldn't do it? Um, I mean, that's truly uh, magical. Uh, you know, uh, Chris, you and I are lucky. Uh, we are doing what we love. A lot of parts of the world, they don't have that luxury. You know, they're doing what's possible to put food on their table or get insurance for their family. And, and we're going to, we're going to be transforming that. That's part of the process of uplifting humanity. So you're hoping that through technology, you can liberate people from doing things that they have to do to allowing them to do things that they want to do. Yeah. It's so one of the concepts I I wrote my first book, uh, with Stephen Kotler in 2012 called abundant. Good. Really, really cool guy. Yeah. He's, he's brilliant. Um, uh, you know, the book is called Abundance. The future is better than you think. And I called Stephen. Uh, I had Stephen had written about me when I was running the X Prize Foundation, um, and he did a, a Wired and a GQ article. And I remember thinking, this guy writes really well. I love his writing. And I called him up and I said, Will you give me writing lessons? So I t- took writing lessons from Stephen. And then I said, I really want to do a book one of these days. So I called him up. I was at Singularity University. It's our second year, and. The idea of abundance, that there's nothing truly scarce in the world. What do I mean by that? You know, people talk about water wars and water scarcity, but the reality is there's water everywhere. Um, there, we live on a water planet, right? We're a blue green planet. Two thirds of our surface is covered by water. The challenge is two, you know, 97.5% is salt, 2% is ice, and we fight over a half a percent of the fresh water on the planet. But Water's there. It's just not in a usable form. And technology, we're getting ready to launch a uh, $100 million uh, energy-efficient desalination prize, right? We did a atmospheric uh, water extraction prize to pull water out of the atmosphere. Um, So there are technologies that can make water abundant everywhere. You know, energy, we used to kill whales on the ocean to get whale oil to light our nights to read. Then we ravaged mountainsides for coal. Then we drilled kilometers under the ocean for oil and, and, and natural gas. Um, but the earth is covered in 8,000 times more energy from the sun than we consume as a species. The energy is there, just not in a usable form. And so we see this over and over and over again. And the idea is technology takes, um, takes uh, what's scarce and turns it into abundance over and over again, right? Abundant access to information on Google, abundant communication on our cellular networks. And so I don't think there's anything truly scarce. And uh, and part of my mission is to help people see that abundance mindset. Michael Malice is a cultural commentator, podcaster, writer. He's just released a book called The White Pill. And I sat down with him to talk about that this week. He is railing at the moment against a culture of cynicism, as he calls it. People that tell you that this isn't going to get better, it can't get better, things have always been this way, the bad people are always going to win. Now, he's done it in a slightly different way. Um, He describes in gruesome detail for 300 pages all of the worst crimes of Soviet-era Russia, of the Ukraine, what happened in Romania, famine, prisons, gulags, abuse, nepotism everything and then he rounds out the book by saying and look what happened the bad people didn't win in the end the berlin wall fell essentially overnight and he continues to load up many many more examples like that and yet there is still a pervasive culture of cynicism i think 
There is. I have some. I have a. I know who does it. What do you mean? Who causes that? It's who? the news media. Uh, it's it's what I call the crisis news network. You know, CNN or I don't know a good acronym for Fox. So the reality is, our brains evolved to look for bad news, right? Because a hundred thousand years ago, a squiggle on the ground wasn't a stick; it was a snake. Or rustling the leaves wasn't, you know, the wind. It was a, uh, you know, a, a lion. Um, you were dead if you missed that. So we evolved an ancient piece of our temporal lobe of our brain called the amygdala, which is the first place all of our sensory input—eyes, ears, touch, and so forth—go. And your amygdala puts you on red alert if it senses any potential danger. And because of that, we pay ten times more attention to negative news and positive news. And because What's the news media's business? It's to deliver their advertisers to our, our eyeballs. And so we pay 10 times more attention to negative news than, than positive news. And so that's what they feed us constantly. We see every murder in our living room over and over and over and over again, every crooked politician, every problem on the planet. Um, and I'm not saying it isn't true. I'm saying it is disproportionately 10 to one negative. There's so many amazing things going on in the world that we never hear about, never see. And so I, you could not pay me enough money to watch the news. It's, I, it, it's yeah. strange when you look at social media and it seems like uh, a state reinforcement, a mainstream media reinforcement army uh, that is packed with gullible volunteers, people who choose to self-generate their own cynical stories and put them out there. Now, the first mover may have been originally that mainstream media was that. I have an amazing study that I think you'll love. So the uh, 2013 Boston Marathon bombing, 2012 yeah. Boston Marathon yeah, bombing, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there was a study done on that compared two cohorts of people. The first cohort were runners who were in the actual race, and the second cohort were people who had consumed six or more hours of news media about the race. The people that consumed the six or more hours of news media showed greater signs of PTSD and emotional trauma than the ones who were literally there and actually involved. Yeah, I mean, so listen, if you're listening to this, consider buying back 10, 20 hours of your week by shutting off the TV don't read the newspaper. Set a few Google alerts for the things that are important to you. If something's really going on in the world you need to know about, believe me, your friends will tell you. Take back control. Do not let some editor in some newsroom who's showing you every murder over and over again with this dystopian mindset ruin your day. So one of the things I teach, right, and I'm really passionate about this, uh, is your mindset is everything, right? So I, I teach this at, at Abundance 360. I have programs going on right now uh, for free to help coach people on, on, on mindsets. If I said to you, what was the most important thing in making Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and you know Mahatma Gandhi, whoever your leader that you I think is amazing, what made them successful? Was it the money they had, the technology ha they had, the network they had, or was it their mindset? What was the most important thing? I think most people would agree it's their mindset. You take away everything, but you retain their mindset. They would regain some level of their success. And so if your mindset is the most important thing you have, what mindset do you have? Where did you get it from? 
what mindset do you want and how are you going to shape it, right? Most of us get a mindset that we inherit from our parents, that we inherit from the people we hang out with, but we don't take the time to shape our active mindset. And I think this is a real challenge. Um, you know, uh, so what I teach is I, I focus in on, on five mindsets, uh, an abundance mindset, uh, which shifts everything. If you see abundance everywhere versus scarcity, you're much more likely to be partnering with people and giving away and getting return uh, an exponential mindset, understanding how fast exponential tech is moving and understanding that we can transform an entire industry, uh, not in 20 years or 10 years, but in five years. Um, I focus on a longevity mindset that we're going to be able to add 10, 20, 30 healthy years in our lives. And during that time, science is doing more to extend our life beyond that. And it's worth investing in your health today to be able to get ready for those extensions. And then a, a moonshot mindset where you really give yourself permission to go 10 times bigger where everyone else is going 10%. And finally, a, a curiosity mindset, which feeds all of these things. So I think your mindset, I guard my mindset. I guard it by what I watch, what I read, who I hang out with. And it's, I think it's one of the most important things for, uh, for entrepreneurs today. When it comes to applying this to actually doing something in terms of practices, it's all well and good talking about mindset, you know, just see the abundance in your life, stop watching the media. These are ingrained habits. And yeah. not only are these ingrained habits, they're ingrained habits that are largely invisible to us. I know if there's a cookie there, I can observe my hand go toward it and the cookie go toward my mouth and me <laughs> eat it and then feel ashamed about myself, right? Whereas right. when it comes to mindset, it's so much more ephemeral, and wishy-washy and invisible to us. It doesn't galvanize us in the same sort of a way. Someone listens, they say, abundance mindset sounds fantastic. I want to step up. I want to make a change. Yeah. What are the steps that make the biggest difference? Yeah. So here's an interesting way to think about it. Uh, if Unless you've been living under a rock, you've been uh, seeing the, the rise of uh, GPT-3 and chat GPT and all of these uh, these neural net uh, AI systems. And so it turns out that our brain is a neural net, right? And the same way that you train an AI, uh, an AI neural net, you show it in very famous examples that Google did, you show it cat video after cat video after cat video, and it begins to recognize what a cat is. And it's showing an, a, a neural net uh, data sets and those data sets train the neural net. Uh, in this, and our brain is a neural net. So if you are watching, I'll use uh, my favorite example again, if you're watching the Crisis News Network over and over and over again, your brain is going to be wired uh, in a sense of PTSD. It's going to be wired of all of this to expect negativism. You're going to see something and it will scare you even though it may not be scary, right? You hear the rustle in the leaves and it's, you, it should, it's the wind, but you think it's someone you know, uh, with a sniper rifle. Um, and so uh, it's training your neural net by what you read, what you watch, and who you hang out with, right? It's all the data you're letting in. It's how do you train yourself? And depending on how your neural net is trained, again, the podcast you listen to, like where we are here, um, uh, and, and it's when you have 
an opportunity, a conversation. You can color it negative or positive, and that is a default mechanism based upon uh, your your mindsets. So I I actually have a 30-day mindset boot camp that's free. Um, you can Google 30-day mindset boot camp or go to diamandis.com. Uh, you can, you can find it there and it's step by step by step. It's my job when I'm teaching this is to give you undeniable, overwhelming evidence of the extraordinary world and how it's getting better and better and better on every single level to counter the dystopian news and then to recommend to you, um, you know, read, you know, books, listen to podcasts take in information that is going to shape your, your mind. So uh, when I was starting the International Space University, I'll never forget my co-founder, Todd Hawley, were in the same, same room at a desk opposite each other. And as a joke, he put up Murphy's Law behind him. And so facing my desk and Murphy's Law is if anything can go wrong, it will. And I'm like, I hate that. I, I kept on just like, just take it down. Take, and, and he wouldn't just to bug me. And so I, I had a whiteboard, I put on it, if anything can go wrong, fix it to hell with Murphy, right? And that's a flip of that mindset. And then I ended up creating 32 different Peter's laws in that, you know, when given a choice, take both, start at the top and work your way up. But it's about, it's about shifting the way you think. It's a judo move, so to speak. Reagan, when he came into power, and he was told that the Soviet era is going to continue. This is the way that the world is now. You're going to have this permanent sort of armament war, ever escalating nuclear threat. Uh, this is the way it is. We need to, you need to learn to work around this. And he said, um, I have another idea. Some may call my plan simple or even simplistic. We win, they lose. <laughs> that was his plan. Uh, and that's the same as writing on the boards. Yeah, good, good on him. So what you've, what you've mentioned here is that you can provide people with relatively undeniable proof about uh, the reduction in climate-associated deaths, the increase in child mortality, the increase in... What, the, the decrease in child mortality. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Somebody that has imbibed a sufficiently cynical mindset will be able to say, well, yeah, that's for them. That's for out there. That's for everybody else. Me, life doesn't seem to work out that way. I have a X, Y, Z reason why that is not the case. What about someone who has fortified themselves inside of a, uh, a, a helpless victim mindset or, or, or scarcity inside themselves? I, I think ultimately anybody can can will themselves to death and can will themselves into that mindset if they, if they so choose. Um, I think you have to get up and go to where it's better, meaning hang out with people who see the world differently than you. Um, you know, the old adage, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. If you're overweight, hang out with skinny people. If you're out of shape, hang out with people who are in, in shape, in good shape, right? If you think the world is going to hell in a handbasket, if you can find people who think the world is amazing and that it's the most extraordinary time ever to be alive and get into those conversations. Now you have to be motivated to do that and something has to kick you in the pants. Um, and maybe you'll be hitting rock bottom 
Um, maybe it will be your husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, your parents, whatever the case might be. But it, it is possible. Um, and I mean, I, I wrote Abundance for that purpose. And, uh, you know, it's the story behind Abundance where we look at uh, going from scarcity to abundance in every area, food, water, energy, healthcare, education, learning, health, uh, is gotten, the, the story has gotten incredibly stronger in the last 11 years on every level. Um, you know, the only place it's been a challenge has been in the environment. And even then, uh, there is a extraordinary uh, tsunami of technologies coming to support uh, that uh, that change in that repair when it comes to your current pet obsession of longevity and health <clears throat> yes i think we both agree that human life has kind of already been a little overclocked that we are living to ages now that are pretty much unprecedented our bodies largely don't know what to do when they get to these sorts of ages we, we, we weren't designed to live to 80 90 you know having centered genarians having people that mm -hmm. live over 100 is insane. It's absolutely insane. So given that, what, what hope have we got that we can continue to extend something which has already been overclocked? So great question. I'll give you a couple of thoughts there. <clears throat> and, and you're right. Our, our bodies were never really designed to live past age 30. Uh, I'll use that number. You know, 100,000 years ago, early hominids would be getting puberty at age 12, 13. And by the time you were 13 or 14, you were pregnant. By the time you were 26, 27, 28, you were a grandparent. And before food was abundant everywhere, before McDonald's and Whole Foods existed, uh, the last thing you wanted to do if you wanted to perpetuate the species was to take food out of the mouths of your grandchildren. And so you'd, you'd die. And there was never any selective pressure after reproduction to keep us alive longer. So very true, our average human lifespan was late 20s and then 100 years ago was late 30s into 40 and then has grown now to call it Is that it where it 80. was? 100 years ago, it was 30 into 40s? It was, it was late 30s into early 40s, yes. Have you got any idea what happens if you take deaths under five out of that equation? It goes up. Yep. Um, there's, uh, there's no question it was the average lifespan, but what increased it substantially was, uh, better sanitation, antibiotics, better calories and all of that. Um, so that's the first point in terms of, uh, the second point is there are species on this planet of, uh, bowhead whales that live 200 years. Uh, Greenland sharks that live four or 500 years. And I remember when I was in medical school, I asked the question, if they can live that long, why can't we? And I said, it's either a hardware problem or a software problem. And I'm clear that it's this decade that we're going to understand the root cause of that. So just because we were never engineered to live past our reproductive age does not mean that the systems could not be engineered to do that. And so the work that I'm doing right now, uh, that I'm funding through my fund, that we are working on through XPRIZE and through some of my companies uh, and supporting some of the top thinkers like George Church and David Sinclair 
is really around the notion of how do we get consistently to 100 to 120 and then can we in fact actually get uh you know further can we get to 150 years old um and so uh i don't think uh the answer is um uh impossible i think we're going to get there i think ai is going to enable us to understand the you know uh, 3.2 billion letters and what is going on there. I think quantum technologies that are coming online and in this decade is going to be the big push. It's going to help us understand what's going on to model the human uh, uh, life form in, in great detail. Um, the other thing to note that's super interesting is, you know, we have 3.2 billion letters from our mother and from our father. And that genome is set when you're born. And it's the same exact genome when you're 20, when you're 40, when you're 80, when you're 100. So if you've got the same instruction set, why do you look different? Well, it's not your genome. It's what genes are on and what genes are off. It's your epigenome. It's the control of that symphony of genes. And as we grow older, we accumulate some amount of DNA damage. True. But what goes awry is the is the silencing of genes and uh, the wrong genes are on, the wrong genes are off. And so the work that's exciting right now is in epigenetic reprogramming. Can we set back the clock? And so in animal models and in human uh, cellular models, we've been able to do that. So uh, I, for one, am doing everything I can to remain in the best possible shape uh, and, uh, and backing the research, uh, to move that forward because I think we can add healthy decades onto our life and those healthy decades will buy us additional decades of breakthrough in science and technology to add more decades into our life. That concept is called longevity escape velocity and we'll, we'll see. I think up until this decade for every generation that you were born, you gained about an extra eight years on average? Of- I think, yeah, the number has been a quarter of a year per year. Um, you know, we've seen some setbacks in the COVID years, these last two years. Um, and I'll be interesting to see post-COVID, do we, retain, do we return to that situation? Let's say that um, we didn't inject any new gene editing, CRISPR, uh, you know, um, how would you say, like power law advances. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is the, I'm using the word very loosely, natural Real, upper realistic. limit? Yeah. So listen, we have, we, we know from history that the very rare oldest lived individuals are 120, 121, 122, 123, I think is the longest accurately uh, documented living individual. Then we have super centenarians who are, uh, you know, get to 105 years old. Now, the difference between normal individuals and super centenarians um, is the difference between health span and lifespan. So you can be alive at 100 brainless in a wheelchair drooling, or you can be alive at 100 playing golf, having going to work every day, having being a sharp, contributing individual. And, and that's being that's health span versus lifespan. And in supercentenarians, um, 
you know, in, in normal individuals will have a health span till 65 and then a slow decrease uh, or slow decrease from 65 to 80 and then die. Supercentenarian, you know, so you have 15 years of ailments, aches, pains, in and out of the hospital, not feeling well, not enjoying life, forced into retirement. Supercentenarians may have 95 years of great health and then they fall off a cliff of two years of illness and then die, right? So the goal is extend health span as long as possible. Um, and, you know, that's great. And I think that is possible with exercise, with sleep, with diet, uh, with mindset, with not dying from something stupid. So I'll give you a few examples there because I think they're important. Um, on diet, I'm in the middle right now. Every year with my Abundance 360 group, I do a 22-day uh, no sugar challenge. Um, and so we're on a WhatsApp group. There's 150 of us right now on this. And we share what we're eating and doing. And for 22 days, you it's no carbs, no sugar, no high glycemic. And it's night and day going through a group along with that. But it turns out in diet, if there's one thing you want to do, it's eliminate high glycemic index foods and in particular sugar. Sugar is a poison for the body. Um, it's a neurotoxin. It's a cardiovascular toxin. Um, and it's just... We never evolved, right? Sugarcane was not part of our diet uh, a thousand or a hundred thousand years ago. Uh, and so it's an inflammatory. So that's diet in its simplest. You know, I have a Mediterranean diet. I, uh, I do get enough protein to try and keep up muscle. Second thing, exercise. I think muscle mass is one of the most important elements in the body. Um, it has the highest correlation to longevity. So I will try and get my 7,000 minimum, 10,000 target steps in a day, and then try and get in two, three workouts a week. Um, sleep, uh, I'm clear eight hours of sleep is my target every day. I used to like be proud of getting five hours when I was in medical school. Now I'm proud of like when I hit eight hours on my aura ring. That's eight hours tracked. So probably closer to eight and a half, nine hours in bed. Is that right? It is, I'm typically in bed at 9.30 uh, and up at 5.30, 6, the latest. And yeah. you're, so what, your sleep efficiency must be very high, if that's the case. It, it, it is, it is. I do get, uh, I, I'm, I fall asleep very easily. I'm lucky in that regard. Hmm. Um, so, but, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of hacks on sleep. I use an eye mask that I love, a Manta eye mask. I have a cooling blanket. I set the temperature outside at 65 degrees. I don't eat within the last couple of hours of uh, of going to sleep. And it's all basic stuff. Um, uh, there's a great book called Why, uh, Why We Sleep, um, which is amazing. Uh, and then um, not dying from something stupid is very important. And it's I jokingly about it, but very few of us know what's actually going on inside our body. Like if I said to you, do you know that there's nothing going on inside your body that that you need to know that you don't know about that you're concerned about? You say I feel fine, but here's the fact: the body is incredibly good at hiding problems. Like you don't go to the doctor with pains and aches and so forth until it's a stage three or stage four cancer. Um, if you have Parkinson's, the tremors don't show up until seventy percent of the neurons are gone. 
And so I built a company called Fountain Life. It's operational in four centers right now, and we're growing to 20 centers around the world. And we do, uh, in fact, I'm going tonight or tomorrow, I'm going to Naples, Florida, where our lead center is for my annual upload. And so I'll go there. It's about five hours. It's a full body MRI, head to, head to toe, a brain imaging, brain blood flow. I do a coronary CT uh, using an AI overlay looking for soft plaque, not calcified plaque. Soft plaque is what can kill you. Uh, a DEXA scan, genomics, uh, a Grail cancer test. Anyway, it's 150 gigabytes of data. And I, after that scan, I'm clear about what's going on in every nook and cranny of my body. And I've been doing this now for eight years. And I have a baseline and I'm looking for any variation. And someday something's going to happen. It's going to show up. But I will have caught it at stage zero or stage one when it's the best chance of doing something about it. How frequently are you doing this? Once a year. And then uh, the, the Fountain Life program, it's just fountainlife.com, is a uh, once a year upload, then a quarterly uh, follow-up uh, blood test. And it's really, uh, it's the fiduciary for your health. And then part of Fountain Life is, is, is the most advanced diagnostics. The other half is the most advanced therapeutic. So we are looking around the world for any breakthroughs, uh, any new science, any new technologies that extend the health span of the individual. We make that available to Fountain Life Centers. So I like to say, listen, um, you know more about what you're, what's going on inside your car than you do your body. And so uh, if you can afford it, um, it's not cheap. It's 20K a year, but it, you get a concierge doctor along with it. Uh, one thing we did do last year to make it more available is we launched Fountain Health Insurance. And Fountain Health is uh, companies of 50 employees or more. For the same price you're paying for your current health insurance for your employees, Fountain Health gives all the testing for free. Our mission is to find the disease in the beginning where it's cheap to handle versus at the end where it's expensive. I've heard you say it's not healthcare, it's sickness care. It is. It's it's ridiculous, right? So, like, I I hate the fact that health insurance pays you after you're sick, life insurance pays your next your kin after you're dead, right? Fire insurance pays you after your house burned down. It's perverse. Yeah. Speaking of some, how would you say, progressive treatments, I'm going to Colombia in a month's time to get some stem cell treatments over there. What have been your experiences so far? I haven't done. The country of Colombia? Yes, correct. Okay, versus Columbia University. Ah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and, I'm going down and, to Medellin. Um, what should what should I expect? What have your yeah. experience been with it? So let's talk about stem cells a second. Um, and unfortunately, stem cell treatments, exogenous stem cells, stem cells from a newborn uh, placental or cord blood stem cells are not legally administrable in the United States. They have not been approved by the FDA. So I'm going to Medellin, yeah. Right. And so we send people to uh, typically a facility in Costa Rica. They're in Colombia. They're in Mexico. They're in Panama. Um, and, and so, um, listen, uh, our bodies, uh, when we're born, have uh, stem cells in every tissue. And those stem cells are the regenerative and reparative engines of those tissues, right? So, Stem cells uh, in your skin are replenishing 
skin stem cells in your muscle in your brain in your kidney in your liver uh, in your fat is replenishing those those organs and tissues um, and the problem is again because we were never evolved to live past age 30 as we grow older the stem cell populations reduce by a hundredfold or a thousandfold and uh the question is, can you supplement them? Can you rejuvenate and regenerate the stem cell populations? And so um, I have, believe it or not, my first stem cell treatments coming up this spring. I've been doing exosomes, uh, which are the information packets that, that stem cells put out. Um, but the other thing I'm doing is I'm extracting my own stem cells, fat stem cells, and uh, and uh, bone marrow stem cells and storing them uh, for future uh, future infusion. So uh, I have thousands of friends who have gone through this, and um, I think uh, people have everything from I didn't notice anything to it was amazing. I'm I'm renewed and rejuvenated. So uh, it's something which is not consistent for everybody um i think stem cells typically traffic to areas where there's damage and you need uh need repair whether it's joints um or uh muscles i think uh we're going to discover a lot about stem cells but they're one of you know the 100 to 1000 x reduction in stem cells is one of the hallmarks of aging and i think it is possible to rejuvenate that when it comes to your uh, suite of tools that you're using in order to extend longevity, yeah, diet, sleep, exercise, don't do anything stupid, mindset. Yeah. Why are you not bringing up sunlight or heat or cold exposure? Why does that not yeah. factor in as oh, a it, primary it, it, for you? It does. Uh, so I do, uh, I do a cold shower every morning. Uh, I do a hot shower first, and then I'll turn it on to freezing, and I'll last as long as I can. I, I just don't have a cold plunge set up, but I love love it. And saunas are great; they're an important part. I just need to pull it in to my current living uh, in, environment, which I have not done yet. But where I can do it, I definitively do that. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different supplements uh, and meds that I do take. I don't want to be, you know practice medicine, I can say what I do, uh, right? Um, I take about a gram of metformin every day, right? Which reduces blood glucose levels. Um, I supplement my testosterone to bring it up to, uh, you know, optimal levels. Um, I'm taking six gram, micro, uh, milligrams of rapamycin uh, right now. Uh, and then a whole slew of supplements. And again, um, I think on my diamandis.com, uh, there's all of my longevity protocols, everything I'm doing uh, accessible there. When it comes to your uh, use of uh, supplementation in terms of TRT, I have read and heard a number of uh, concerns around higher testosterone levels being associated with lower longevity. Is that a concern for you that the therapeutic levels of TRT are potentially uh, lowering lifespan? I, I, I haven't. Uh, I have not seen that, uh, that science. Um, and I'm not, I'm basically supplementing to get to normal rates. I'm not looking to get to super normal rates. Yeah. Um, and there's, 
you know, it's interesting. The level of complexity of the human body and our biochemistry and our cellular chemistry is extraordinary. Uh, and one of the things that is coming is finally the amount of uh, uh, data science that can look at everything, look at all. So, you know, we have this 150 gigabytes of data that we get about all of, all of our members that go through Abundance 360. We know what they're taking. We know what their complaints are. We know what everything. And what will fall out of all that data is correlations. Like for this genetic situation, for these supplements, and it's it's still the early days, but the decade ahead is going to be amazing. That's the uh, longevity escape velocity that you're talking yeah. about. Stick about, yeah. keep your health as good as it can be, because at some point in the future, we're going to be able to add more than a year for every year that you stay alive. Um, one of the things that I was interested looking at your approach to diet, which is quite plant heavy, which is quite Mediterranean, how do you square the circle of the paleo and carnivore community being uh, so popular and having so many people that extol it as a virtue with your view of leaning heavily on plants and of actually a quite heavy reduction in red meat? So, listen, I eat as much fish as I can. I uh, eat as many eggs as I can. So I do believe in a high protein intake, but also a high plant intake. I stay away from red meats doesn't mean I don't enjoy some bacon once in a while or uh, uh, some pork once in a while. You know, there's an old Greek saying my dad used to say, upon metronadiston, which is everything in moderation. So I lean heavily. I, I attack vegetables, right? Uh, and put on olive oil and everything that I can possibly put olive oil on. Like a good Greek man. Yeah, good Greek, yes. And... Uh, and I will, if I have a choice, uh, I'll be eating salmon um, uh, wherever I can and, and uh, you know, uh, three or four eggs in a day. So, you know, and then the reality is all diets are not made for everybody. Uh, your, your ethnic background does affect what diet's right for you. And I think the other thing that we're discovering right now is your microbiome is plays such a huge role in everything. Again, it's every time we learn about something in the microbiome, like, oh my God, where did that come from? That's crazy. Uh, and it's, it's, we're collecting data. Uh, I'm doing what in summary, I think gives me the best shot at, I, I feel like I'm in better shape and have more energy and more, you know, desire to, you know, to go out there and make my dent in the universe than I ever had. Uh, and that's great. And my goal is, you know, I'm 61. Can I keep it going for the next 30 years? Intercept a 30 years of, of technology change. And I'll be blown away if that if we're not adding another 30 years during that time. I know that you're a user of athletic greens. I have been for a very long time as well. Is that what you're going to lean over and pull out? There it is. There it is. Travel packs. So, um, one of the things that I had read, again, this is coming out of the paleo carnivore community, is a concern of overconsumption of leafy greens, which is what I, my favorite vegetable, if I could dial it in all the time, would be spinach. Yes, um, agreed. It's just great. Um, but oxalates, is that what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And, and athletic greens and stuff, which is a hyper condensed, uh, very um, potent 
the delivery of this sort of stuff. How concerned should I be about oxalates? Can I tell all of my friends that are prodding me about it that they need to go away? If I had any true knowledge, I would give it to you, but I don't. Okay. So best to not say anything. Um, I'll look into it, but um, I, I love the product and it, it sort of gets me through uh, my early morning fasting. The bottom line is, and I think that you use this as a good heuristic, how do, how do you feel? Do yeah. you feel better? Uh, and I've just had this morning my first full blood panel done by Marrick Health, which meant that I had to stay off anything that's got biotin mm -hmm. because that can sometimes skew the results. I didn't even know what biotin was, but I, I haven't used Athletic Greens for probably... In fact, I didn't use it because I was at home and I ran out in the UK. I, I mustn't have used it for two weeks. I don't feel as good. My digestion doesn't feel as good. I can tell that there's something just not quite right. Uh, and then I had to do the thing today. And as soon as I've got it out of the way, I'm like, I'm, I'm back on that. And it's the same as you eat some f awful fast food uh, from right. a, a motorway services. How do you feel after yeah. you've eaten it? Your body yeah. knows, you know. Yeah, and you regret you ate it. Yeah, one of the things that's going on, it's one of the benefits of, uh, of intermittent fasting uh, and having something light and, and energy dense and vibrant is if it doesn't pull all of the blood out of your brain into your digestive tract, you know, so you feel slow and, and, and sluggish. One of the benefits, I remember the first time I ever uh, started doing intermittent fasting and, and wouldn't eat until like one o'clock, uh, I was like bouncing off the, off the walls with energy. And I was like, that's crazy. Why do I have so much energy? And it's because my, my, uh, blood is not drawn to my digestive tract if you have a heavy breakfast. And also your system is thinking, you need to be, fo you need to be focused here. We might, we might need to look around for an antelope or we need, to be, <laughs> we need to be on the lookout for a good bush. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it is very interesting, man. I, I've very much been enjoying taking a more, I, I'm such a bro, right? So my inception into the health and fitness world was playing a sport as a kid uh, at a pretty high level until about the age of 18. And then as soon as I got to university, all that I wanted to do was look jacked. So for, <laughs> and this was the advent, the absolute cusp of the If It Fits Your Macros movement, which is you can get shredded eating Haribo and cheesecake as long as it hits the macronutrient profile that you need to. Micros, that, that's kind of lame. No one cares. That's for pussies. Uh, you don't need to care about sunlight. You don't need to care about, it was just the most transactional approach to health right optimized uh, you know my aesthetic physique was, was and that says a lot that you can look absolutely fantastic on the outside also i mean i was 20 whatever in my 20s which means you can probably do pretty much anything and you're still gonna look yes. pretty good um <laughs> but now you know i'm 34 and i'm genuinely taking more care about this i'm thinking like how many steps am i getting in per day am i going for a little walk to reduce insulin sensitivity after each meal how much sunlight am i getting exposed to how much time am i spending in nature am i getting enough heat am i getting enough cold what's my water content like not only is how much am i drinking but what is the quality of the water that i'm getting like we've got a reverse osmosis uh filter that's just arrived in the living room which i'm excited to start using bing 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 like all the way down is that reverse osmosis water as well it is what do you use do you use an aqua true or something else it's a it's a system we put into the house. So oh, um, you've plugged it yeah. right in. Well, yeah. okay, yeah, that would be yeah. absolutely fantastic. My point being, I have I think mostly my age, the age that I was at, moved along with most of the developments. It feels to me like people have started talking about the things that I've started doing at the time when I needed to start doing them. Now that might just be as a byproduct that you start searching for those sorts of things, 
but certainly this push towards sunlight, heat, cold, uh, a more holistic view of health, you know, that is you need to look good, but you need to actually operate well too. If you're crumbling on the inside, but shining on the outside, it's not very useful. Yeah, for sure. And and remember, this is the most extraordinary time ever to be alive. Uh, only time more exciting than now is tomorrow. And it's like you want to be look good, you know, think clearly, move well, be able to enjoy the life ahead. And one of my friends says, you want a future that's bigger than your past. And if you've got that, then uh, you're going to live into that extraordinary future. If there was a bunch of headlines of things that you wish you could tell people to stop taking or stop doing in service of their longevity, what are the biggest wastes that don't move the needle that you wish people wouldn't focus on? Uh, I start with one. Don't waste your time watching the news. Uh, become, uh, become selective on what you let into your mind. Uh, this is an extraordinary time. Um, so guard your, what shapes your neural net, uh, the best on the food side, it's get rid of sodas. Uh, fruit juices are, you know, insane. Uh, but it's sugary substances and, and, and carbs. Can you, can you reduce your, your glucose intake? Have you it got will, an issue with diet drinks? Uh, you know, the phosphoric acid in, in, uh, in diet drinks. So I just don't do sodas. Listen, I, I may do a, a Coke zero once a year, but it's not like, uh, you know, um, and then, uh, you know, it's, it really is about, um, it's, it's not any one thing. Um, but it's make a few small, don't try and do everything, make a few small changes in your life. Uh, in these areas, I think sleep is one of the biggest changes people can make that changes everything because it fuels you. Um, so uh, it's nothing. There's no other stop doing uh, that I would I would list. Peter Diamandis, ladies and gentlemen, if people want to keep up to date with the stuff that you do, where should they go? Yeah, sure. So my podcast is uh, called Moonshots and Mindsets, and. Uh, uh, it's really a deep focus on all of these areas. Uh, uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Diamandis. And then uh, Diamandis.com is all of my blogs and all of the tools and all the products that I, I provide folks. So listen, I'm on a mission to inspire and guide entrepreneurs to create a hopeful, abundant, uh, and compelling future. And that's what I love doing. And Chris, thank you very much for having me on the show today. 